I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's episode of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to talk about teleportation. But I don't mean like a transporter in Star Trek, I mean physically moving from one location to another, sometimes even through solid objects, and it seems like, in most cases, not knowing how they did it. It sounds kind of confusing, but once you hear the first story, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you're thinking teleportation is scientifically impossible, well, you're wrong. Scientists just this past year have figured out how to teleport only atoms at this point, but it's a start from one location to another. So it's happening, it's coming, but again, that's not the kind of teleportation I'm talking about, sort of. But before we get to that, let's take a look at some paranormal news, because holy crap has there been a lot of it. First up, if you're following Paranormal Almanac on Facebook, I posted this story last week, I believe it was. If you aren't, you should. I try to keep it to the bare minimum, and I try to keep it light and having fun. But, first up in Paranormal News, two commercial pilots flying over the Arizona desert claim they saw an unidentified flying object pass overhead. And this is according to a radio broadcast released by the FAA. A Learjet pilot and an American Airlines pilot saw the object on February 24th and radioed the regional air traffic controller in Albuquerque. Fun fact, that's one of my favorite Weird Al songs. Anyhow, the Learjet pilot said, Was anyone, uh, above us that passed us like 30 seconds ago? The air traffic controller replied, Negative. And the pilot said, Okay, something did. A UFO, someone quickly responded, Yeah, haha, the pilot said, chuckling. That's the best chuckle you're going to get out of me for this story. But there was also a second sighting of that UFO almost immediately afterwards, because minutes later, the FAA controller alerted an American Airlines plane that was flying in the same area, American 1095, uh, let me know if, uh, you anything pass over you here in the next, uh, 15 miles. An air traffic controller stuttered, apparently. And the pilot responded uh, something something to the effect of, let you know if anything passes over us. And the air traffic controller said, yes, let us know. We had an aircraft in front of you that reported something. The pilot said, okay. And then shortly right after that, the pilot said, it's American 1095. Yes, yeah, something just passed over us. I don't know what it was, but at least two to 3,000 feet above us. Yeah, it passed right over the top of us. So, two pilots, professional pilots, seem to be experienced pilots, both saw something that they could not identify. It was, in all terms, an unidentified flying object. Another UFO story was released this week. It's about an encounter that happened in 2004 on a training mission 140 miles southwest of San Diego. Retired Navy Commander David Fravor 
is one of the growing number of people who has actually pursued a UFO in a military aircraft. Now, he says what was unique with theirs is that they actually interacted with it. They chased it. He said, I went after it. There's enough credible evidence. There are things flying around that we didn't build and we can't explain. And again, this is from a Navy commander who is an experienced pilot. Next up in the paranormal news segment is kind of an update of sorts from a previous episode. Fans that have listened to all of them will know that I did a UFO episode that included an Old West town burying an alien from a crashed UFO. And if you don't know what I'm talking about at this point, that's fine because the news story I'm about to read to you will recap it for you. But you should still listen to that episode because I like that one. It said, just this week, a Dallas lawyer is offering $1,000 for the return of a grave marker stolen from a cemetery in a small town in Texas, and that's in Aurora, Texas. And according to local legends, the remains of an alien killed in a UFO crash were buried right there. Now, his name is Stratton Horrors, or Horace, and he's a Dallas civil defense attorney. And he says he doesn't necessarily believe the reported April 17th, 1897 crash in Aurora, Texas. But he says he enjoys reading about it and researching stories of unidentified flying objects and wants to see if his financial offer might turn up some evidence one way or another. And it's actually pretty smart. You offer a thousand dollars. It's not a ton of money, but it's a lot of money to just about everybody I know. And who knows what you might get? You put that offer out there, the great-great-grandson of someone from Aurora, Texas, might have something in his house that could be proof. It could be evidence. Now, he says that it's a legend that persists after 120 years. It's pretty remarkable. I'm skeptical, but would love to find some evidence that that something has happened that we could not explain. This offer comes just about two weeks after the 121st anniversary of the reported crash. And just about a week ago, they did a tour of the cemetery and pointed out the alien gravesite. Now, the grave marker itself was stolen in 1972, just around the time that MUFON published an investigative piece about the Aurora incident, and those are probably connected. A replacement marker was also stolen in 2012. Today, the gravesite is marked only by a boulder, although someone, I don't know who, has inscribed the rock with messages such as rest in peace, my alien brother. There's also a small wooden cross and flowers on the gravesite. So people are still coming to it 121 years later. Now, in case you're wondering how these people are going to just turn it in because it's a crime to steal a gravestone, well, Horace says he will not pursue any criminal charges if someone comes forward with the grave marker. He says it'll be no questions asked. I don't want anyone to feel like they were in trouble. He says he hopes to hire an investigator to uh, do an investigation of the actual original grave marker, possibly including a study into who did the etchings of the grave marker and where the stone material came from. And I would love to find out the answers to those questions. Find out who did that first initial grave marker. And then not to keep it himself, he says once the work is complete, he'll donate the grave marker to either the Aurora City officials or the local cemetery association. And he says it would be for the return and examination to the original gravesite for everyone to see it. Anyone wishing to contact Horace to discuss the reward or any other aspects of the case 
You can email him at stratton.horus, that's S-T-R-A-T-T-O-N dot H-O-R-R-E-S at W-I-L-S-O-N-E-L-S-E-R dot com. Wilsonelser dot com. I don't know what that is, but there you have it. And in case you were thinking, wow, that's a whole lot of paranormal news, but wait, there's more. Because next up, we have a new string of Bigfoot sightings. There have been a couple of sightings in southern Delaware County within the last two weeks. These are fresh Bigfoot sightings. Now, the problem is that when members of the Bigfoot Researchers Group interview witnesses, they are often told that about 25 other people have seen the same thing, but they're embarrassed to talk about it. And that brings me to something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. I understand the stigma that used to come with UFO sightings or Bigfoot sightings, but that stigma is just about gone. If you've seen something, say something, especially when it comes to the paranormal. The more people that get out there and tell their stories really helps everybody else, and it starts to connect the dots, and those are the dots that we need to prove that the paranormal is real and that Bigfoot is real. So, okay, enough with the news. Let's get to the teleportations. Now, this first story comes from Reddit, but it's from a person that swears over and over that this is a 100% true story, and I've contacted the person on Reddit, and it doesn't seem to be some kid trying to just come up with a creepy pasta kind of story. And the story is, I had put all of this in the past, as it happened over seven years ago, but to be honest, I can't. The thought of what happened still leaves me questioning, so while at work today, I decided to see if others have had the same phenomena, and it seems I'm not alone. I left my friend's house and started my drive towards, started my drive home to San Jose. Shortly after getting on 680 South in Concord, California, I received a cell phone call from my girlfriend. It's 7.30 at night, and so since she wanted to talk to me in earnest, I pulled into the slow lane and listened to her while I drove home. Now, I've made this drive for over 10 years. Same stretch of road, same curves, same bumps, everything. I could close my eyes, and I would make this journey. So, I'm in the conversation about 10 minutes when my direction sense is sparking off. My brain is telling me since I just made the around the bend of the highway... I should be moving over a lane since my lane becomes an off-ramp into Walnut Creek. I go to move over a lane and suddenly, in total confusion, the lane I just moved into is also an off-ramp. The highway has just ended. So I interrupt her at this point to let her know something's not right. Not saying I'm lost, just odd that the highway has ended. Then suddenly it hits me. I've just entered San Francisco going north on the 280... The off-ramp I just moved off was 280 heading to the Bay Bridge, and now I'm squarely headed to San Francisco on East 19th Avenue. At this point, I tell her I need to call her back. I get my bearings and move into the gas station at the first corner and do a U-turn, now heading back to San Jose on the 280 South. At this point, it takes me the usual amount of time required to drive home from San Francisco, which is roughly 45 minutes. I lost connection on my cell phone at the bend just past Half Moon Bay, as I always do. I checked my phone records with Verizon, and sure enough, I ended my phone call with her 15 minutes into the call when I arrived in San Francisco. Now, she says I never lost connection in the first 15 minutes, 
So if you look at Google Maps going from Concord, California to San Francisco and somehow ending up going north on Highway 280 in 15 minutes is impossible unless I was recklessly speeding and didn't stop at the toll booths on the Bay Bridge. It's basically like I looked down at my dashboard in Concord, then looked up, I was in San Francisco. And the person goes on to say that they will be forever haunted by not knowing what happened, but they made it from Concord, California to San Francisco in 15 minutes, which I checked on Google Maps, and they're not wrong. They'd have to be going pretty damn fast to make that trip in 15 minutes, and apparently they weren't. So now do you guys kind of see what I mean by teleportation? This isn't highway hypnosis either, skeptics. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, a lot of people drive home from work and don't remember the drive. Well, that is true. Your brain kind of takes over and does the drive for you, but it still takes the exact same amount of time. This is a person who traveled great distances in only 15 minutes, which seems physically impossible. So now that you know what I'm talking about with teleportation, if anyone has any theories or reasons... I would love to hear them. I really would. Now, this person did say, I'd like to add, I had my phone records to match my experience. I was talking to a person who never lost contact except when I ended the call in San Francisco and when the dead spot happened on 280. So I'm really glad that they brought that up because that puts another person who's not in the car, who is paying attention, who can look at their phone records as well to corroborate their story. And as you know, and that's what I look for in my research, I want someone to back up their claims. And this person had that. They had a witness on the phone. That's a 15-minute trip from Concord to San Francisco, which is pretty damn fast. Next up, we have an old, old one. It seems that in the 17th century, there were a lot of cases of teleportation. One case is in a 1692 book of Scottish fairies called The Secret Commonwealth by Reverend Robert Kirk. Now, in the book, it explains the phenomenon like this. It's a story of a nun, the Venerable Mary Jesus of Agrida, who between 1620 and 1631 was claimed to have made over 500 teleportations from her convent in Spain, some all the way over to New Mexico in the New World. And this, this story is kind of teleportation, but it's also perceived by a lot of people in the paranormal realm in the paranormal world as not just teleportation but of dream teleportation cuz she would say that she was dreaming she said she would say that she was dreaming or, or she was having dreams of teaching religion to these new people this indigenous people and these people turned out to be Native Americans in New Mexico. And she didn't really understand what was happening, just like everybody else didn't understand what was happening, until there were missionaries that went to America and saw these Native Americans themselves who gave testimony about a woman that was teaching them about religion. And this one kind of has a little bit of proof to back it up, because in 1622, there was a missionary named Father Alonso de Benavides, and he wrote a letter to Pope Urban VIII claiming that someone had already been actively converting these Native Americans since long before he had even arrived. When the Native Americans were asked where they had learned about Christianity, they've claimed that it had been shown to them by a European lady in blue, and that this mysterious woman had given them crucifixes and a chalice that appeared to have come from Mary's convent. So again, depending on how you want to look at this, 
She was either teleporting in her sleep and in her sleep teaching them about Christianity, but she was also giving them physical objects. Now, that physical object side, take that with a grain of salt because I couldn't find any information about what happened to these physical objects at all. But this is another indication of teleportation where the person doesn't even really know that they're doing it. Another story from back then, in 1661, a woman from Cork named Florence Newton was tried and accused of being a witch. Now, the reason that they tried her for being a witch was that she seemed to be prone to having violent episodes of demonic possession in which she would vomit all matter of strange objects, such as wool or even pins. She could also exhibit supernatural strength. She was tossing men like dolls. She would also be constantly barraged by stones that seemed to materialize from nowhere, only to vanish once again after hitting her. And if that wasn't weird enough, because trust me it is, she also had the ability to teleport. There are claims, and they're only claims, obviously, because it's from 1661, so there's not a lot of information about it, but there are claims that Newton would disappear from a room only to reappear moments later in another room, or even on the roof, or inside a locked chest. So, I get this one. You gotta take it with a grain of salt. There's not a lot of information. The story's been passed down again and again and again, and it does seem to grow a little bit with each telling, but... The kernel of truth is there was something to this woman and she did seem to materialize from one place to another. From there, let's move on to the late 1920s, the family of a Dr. Qatar from India. That's K-E-T-A-R from India. Now, Dr. Qatar had two adopted sons and they started making claims that they could teleport. And they would teleport into random locations, including locked cars or locked sheds. And one of these teleportations was actually witnessed by Dr. Qatar's wife. And she says that her oldest son suddenly materialized in front of her one day, claiming that he had just came from the town of Karjat, which is a, I'm sure I'm not saying that right, but it's a very far away town. And if that wasn't bizarre enough, he was levitating when he appeared right in front of her. Now, she says it it was almost as if he was in a position as if being carried by some large, invisible hand before being gently placed upon the floor. Now, again, there's not a lot of details about this one, but the kid didn't seem to understand how he was doing it. The parents didn't understand how they were doing it. And both adopted sons were teleporting. And for this next one from the Internet, take this one also with a grain of salt because I couldn't find out a lot of information about it. but. It doesn't seem to be made up, so I'm including it on this edition. And the story is that in 1956, a man by the name of Thomas R. Kessel seemed to appear from nowhere on a busy street in New York City. Now, there are a lot of these kind of things where people from the past materialize in New York City and it's turned out to be fake stories. This one is a little different, so bear with me for just another minute. Now, Thomas Kessel explained that his last memory had been leaving a bar in Johannesburg, South Africa. The next thing he knew, he was walking down the street in New York. He had no passport, and he said that there was no way he could have traveled to the country otherwise, and it's unclear how he ended up there. So, that's it to that story. Again, it's very reminiscent of the time-traveling guy that appeared out of nowhere in New York, got hit by a car, turns out that he was from the past, that story's fake. This story I couldn't debunk right away, but 
Still, take it with a grain of salt. Now, the next few were from people that sent me their stories themselves, but didn't want their names mentioned, but they did say they were very eager to tell me their stories. And how I found these people was, there was one of these BS YouTube videos about a car that would just teleport. All of a sudden, it was just there. One second, it wasn't. You turned around, and boom, the car was there. Look, 99% of those videos are fake. I'm sure there are real teleportation videos, but with video editing software as good as it is, it is way too hard for me to figure out what's real and what's not. So I'm not going to go into a lot of those videos. There's one of a guy riding a bicycle. All of a sudden, he appears behind a man that's being interviewed on the news. That one is explainable. The bicycle, the guy behind the bicycle is being blocked by the man being interviewed. And when he turns, it's as if he appears out of nowhere. It's pretty easy once you know what you're looking for. It's kind of like a magic trick. But anyhow, there was a story just recently about a car that teleported out of nowhere. And there was a lot of people that responded to the story going, look, I know this is crazy, but this happened to me. I swear to God, I'm not insane. So I looked at their profile. They were very nice people. Most of them were in their 60s from the Midwest of America, some from England. They didn't seem to want a lot of publicity because, again, I said, hey, can I use your story? And they said, sure, please. I would love to have my story told. Please don't include my name because I don't want a lot of weird people contacting me. So I agreed. I said, sure, no problem. As long as I can tell your story, which is the main thing I want. And they said, I would love to have it out there. So the first one from them is... My son and I were going down a two-lane country road near our home. There was a car coming up towards us, driving in the wrong lane, our lane. I had flashed my lights, but it never moved from its oncoming lane into the proper lane. I started to look for a pull-off anywhere we could get out of its way, but there was nothing but a deep ditch on both sides. By the time I knew we were going to be hit head-on, I grabbed my son's hand and I cried out, No, Jesus, please. Now, I understand how crazy this sounds, but the car drove right through us. I don't know if it disappeared completely or what, but it just drove straight through us. All I know is that suddenly it was behind us. I could see its taillights behind us. It never swerved. It was never going into the other lane. It should have hit us. To this day, I can't explain what happened. And these are the kind of stories I love. This is from an actual person who has no reason to lie. She doesn't want her name out there. She's not looking for publicity or fame. She just wants her story told because she doesn't understand what happened to her. Okay, the next one is from a very nice lady who said she's, I'm 68, and throughout my life, I've seen things not just a, not just disappearing cars, but a whole lot of other things that I can't explain. I've seen people disappear, and I've seen cars disappear right in front of me. I don't believe in the paranormal, but I don't have any explanation. Another one is from a very nice younger woman who says, I don't know if this is the same or what you're looking for, but I was looking for my glasses and I checked the bathroom counter. Not there. So I go into my bedroom and they weren't and they were not on my nightstand where I thought. I started to panic because I was going to be late for a meetup or whatever I was going to do. So naturally, I started yelling at, quote, whoever is playing a prank on me. I say it like that because I do believe in ghosts and I think I have one that likes to mess with my clothing and such because I can't find it in one minute and then the next minute it's there. Anyway, I go back into the bathroom, look on my counter and a split second later, they appear out of nowhere. 
They were not there a split second ago. It's the spot I looked right after I said that. It was as if the glasses had materialized right in front of me. So again, not the typical teleportation, but it does seem that the glasses went from the nightstand to nowhere back onto her sink. I told you this was going to be a little bit weirder one, and the thing I like best about this is I can't debunk any of these stories. The next one is from a very nice gentleman who says, I had a similar experience to this in Iraq during the war, but I never talked about it. But I had an experience when I was rounding a bend in a vehicle and then reappearing again only farther back on the same road, and an IED blew up in front of us. It should have hit us, it should have been exactly where I rounded the bend, but somehow we got pushed backwards to where we had already been. He says, I'll probably never mention it again, and I only did it because I literally felt like it hit a bump in the twilight zone and the record skipped. One second we were at this spot, and the very next second we were back to where we had came from, and the IED exploded. So that one is, I think, a phenomenal one because it does seem like these teleportations happen and save people's lives. That woman and her son would have been hit in the car. This guy probably wouldn't be with us anymore. So for one, thank you so much for your story. And two, thank you so much for your service. So that's all the ones that I have from personal connections that I reached out and talked to these people, but I thought they were great stories and I thought you guys would get a kick out of them as well. But I do have one more, and this next one is a little bit different. This is from Mr. R.W. Balcom of Live Oak, California. And he says, The two of them were traveling to Lake Tahoe during the early morning hours. A few miles east of Placerville on Highway 50, they stopped to eat at a quaint and rustic-style restaurant, which neither of them had ever noticed before on any of their previous trips to Lake Tahoe. He says the food was excellent, and the waitress and the cook were so friendly that the Balcoms truly meant their promise to stop back again. Now, this is where it gets kind of weird. They tried to do so on the return drive from Lake Tahoe on the exact same trip, but the restaurant was nowhere to be seen. The Balcoms traveled that route three successive weekends in 1962, looking for the friendly little restaurant with the good food, but it had simply vanished into nothingness. And he says, since then, we journeyed over Highway 50 to Lake Tahoe many times, and never again have we found that little restaurant. So what do you guys think about this one? Did they travel in time? Is it a parallel dimension? I have no idea what happened to them. But again, it seems like people that were very nice and very honest that just had a bizarre instance happen to them. Not quite teleportation, but still, something happened there. Okay, this next one is definitely teleportation and it's possibly one of the best known examples of it many of you have probably heard this story but just in case here we go bruce gernon was flying through the bermuda triangle to miami when he noticed a strange cloud in front of him now he listened to the radio in a small plane and he heard the miami flight service weather say that the weather was good in miami so he kept flying now he says we were climbing at a thousand feet per minute and the cloud seemed to be building up at the same rate. Unexpectedly, it caught up and engulfed the Bonanza, which is his small plane. He was traveling with a passenger, by the way. He says, After 10 minutes of climbing in and out of this cloud, the airplane finally broke free at 11,500 feet, and the sky was clear. 
He says, I leveled the Bonanza off and accelerated to its maximum safe cruising speed of 195 miles per hour. When I looked back at the cloud, I was astonished. It now looked like an immense squall, abnormally shaped in the form of a giant semicircle extending around us. Visibility was about 10 miles and the cloud continued beyond my perception, so it must have been more than 20 miles long. After a few minutes, I lost complete sight of it. He says, soon we noticed another cloud building directly in front of us near the Bimini Islands. It looked a great deal like the cloud that we had just left, except that its top was at least 60,000 feet. Remember, he was at 11,500 feet at this point. He says, when we came within a few miles of it, we saw that it appeared to emanate directly from the surface of the earth. And he isn't the only one who has said that. There's been a lot of people that have caught that have been caught up in the Bermuda Triangle that says that the weather was very odd and it seemed to be coming from the Earth itself instead of from the atmosphere. Now he goes on to say that upon entering the cloud, we witnessed an uncanny spectacle. It became dark and black without rain and visibility was about four to five miles. There were no lightning bolts, only extraordinarily bright white flashes that would illuminate the entire surrounding area. The deeper we penetrated, the more intense the flashes became, so we made a 135-degree turn to the left and headed due south out of the cloud. Now remember, they were heading west towards Miami at this point. Now he's heading south. He had been flying for about 27 minutes when the cloud started to merge, forming a tunnel. And he says, I was amazed at what the shaft now looked like. It appeared to be only a mile long instead of 10 plus, as I had just estimated, and light from the afternoon sun shone through the exit hole and made the silky white walls glow. The walls were perfectly round and slowly constricting around us. All around the edges were small puffs of clouds of a contrasting gray swirling counterclockwise around the plane. Now, they were only in the tunnel for 20 seconds before they emerged out the other end. And for about five seconds, they had this strange feeling of weightlessness and an increased forward momentum. And he says, when I looked back, I gasped to see the tunnel walls collapse and form a slit that slowly rotated clockwise. Now, all of their electronic and magnetic navigational instruments were malfunctioning. He said the compass was slowly spinning even as the plane flew straight. He contacted Miami immediately and told them that they were about 45 miles southeast of Bimini heading east at 10,500 feet. The radar controller replied that he was unable to identify it anywhere in the area. When he came out of the gray skies, he described it as being kind of like an electronic fog. And again, he isn't the only one to do this. There's been many people that have said that their compasses are going haywire, that it seems to be some kind of electric fog around the aircraft. And as if his story wasn't weird enough, here's where it gets really bizarre. He says, we were in the electronic fog for three minutes when the controller radioed that he identified an airplane directly over Miami Beach flying due west. I looked at my watch and saw that we'd been flying for less than 34 minutes. We could not yet have reached Miami Beach. We should have been approaching the Bimini Islands. And I told the controller he must have identified another airplane. He said that when the fog broke in a weird sort of electronic fashion, long horizontal lines appeared in the fog on either side of them. The lines widened into slits about four or five miles long, and that's when they saw the blue sky through them. He says within eight seconds, 
All the slits had joined and the gray fog had disappeared. And shockingly, they saw the barrier island of Miami Beach directly below them. Now, thankfully, when he landed, he checked all three clocks and the watches aboard and they all showed 3.48 p.m. and that the flight only took less than 47 minutes, almost half of what it usually takes in that plane that he has done that trip numerous times. So this is, again, another story of someone traveling great distances almost immediately, half the time it usually takes, in rough weather, trying to evade it, and going in multiple directions to try and get out of this storm that they were in. But somehow, they traveled a great distance almost immediately. Okay, I think that'll about do it for this episode, but I would like to thank a few listeners who have already donated for better equipment for Paranormal Almanac. Last week's episode, I said, please feel free to PayPal me. You can look me up. It's Kurt Sandig on PayPal. And by the way, if you guys can't find it, please let me know. I'll figure out some link or something to put up. But, and again, you don't have to give anything. You really don't. You guys listening and rating the shows is enough, and I love it. But I do have some people to thank. So, Steve, James, and Scott, thank you so much for your generous donations. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it when I started getting the emails from PayPal saying that, Someone had donated money. So, once again, Steve, James, and Scott, thank you, thank you, thank you. It was very generous. Very nice of you guys. Thank you so much for the support. Once I get enough money, I will be buying a new, better mic setup for not only me, but me and the guests. And I also have my eye on a couple of paranormal things for when I do investigations, but I'm going to save that for a later episode. So, if you guys would like to donate... Just look for C-U-R-T-S-A-N as in Nancy, D as in David, V as in Vegetable, I, G as in George. That's Kurt Sandvig, which is me, on PayPal. I've been told that was the easiest way to get you guys to be able to do this. So, oh, and also, Steve, James, and Scott, even though I reached out to you guys via email, my offer stands. If you guys want me to do a specific episode or topic, You guys get first in line. Whatever you guys want, I will drop everything else, work on your topic, work on your specific episode, whatever you guys want. If any listener has any issues finding me on PayPal, just let me know via the Facebook page. Once again, it's Paranormal Almanac on Facebook. And I'll, like I said, I'll figure out some kind of link or something that I might be able to send out. And last but not least, to other listeners, shout outs. Joe for his great topic suggestions and giving me something very cool to watch on Netflix. You know what I'm talking about, Joe. And I guarantee you there is going to be a Paranormal Almanac episode about it because you're right. It's bizarre and I love it. And also, Ale, A-L-E, Ali, Ale, I don't know how to say your name. I feel really bad. I tried to message you to say like, hey, I want to give you a shout out. How do I say your name? But, um... I want to thank you for always commenting and always being so supportive. It really does mean a lot to me. I love it when you guys reach out to me on on, uh, Facebook. It's so much fun to chat with you guys. You guys have some great ideas. You show me some really weird stuff. I dig it all. But anyhow, thank you two so much for being very supportive. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Once again, I am your host, Kurt Zambig, and this has been another edition of 
Paranormal Almanac.